It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1283 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast. Make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, as well as YouTube, and all across the podcast channel of your preference. Today's podcast is myself and Wes Morton of Peachtree Hoops talking about Summer League, as well as some roster takeaways from the early part of the offseason. Of course, the Hawks might be done at this juncture, but there's still plenty to discuss. And uh, as a reminder, if you are new listener to the podcast, I don't go away in the offseason. We're going to be here every single week, multiple times between now and training camp in September. So stay tuned for all of that stuff. Subscribe to the podcast. And after a quick intro, you will come back and you'll hear from myself and Wes Morton on Summer League and more. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am joined now by a person who was also in the Las Vegas desert for quite some time and a writer at Peace Street Hoops, Wes Morton. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah, it's pretty hot out there in the desert, but <laughs> had a fun time, you know. Yeah. Um, listen, you were there longer than most people ever should be. Uh, I was there way longer than, than I should be. Every year I do this where I stay like two days too long uh, trying to cover yeah. as much of the Hawks stuff as possible and uh, but I wanted to have you on knowing that you were out there and you uh, saw everything in person just like I did. And um, outside of Glenn Willis, our, our, our friend and colleague, uh, who is, actually enjoys summer league basketball more than anybody else possibly could. <laughs> uh, how was your first experience out there? I know you, we were talking before we started recording. You hadn't, you hadn't even been to Vegas, much, much less summer league. So uh, what did you take away from uh, being up, up close and personal? Yeah, it was definitely an experience. I mean, it was, it was fun. I mean, you know, obviously it is what it is. You're you're watching a lot of, you know, recent draftees, watch a lot of guys fighting for roster spots. So the quality of the basketball itself is, is definitely, uh, uh, you know, kind of comes and goes yes. depending on what kind of rosters are out there. But I think the fun part about it is obviously a lot, of the, a lot of the fans are neutral if they're watching a game. So a player makes a big play, like the whole crowd, oohs and ahs. They're not this like home and away environment. Um, so everyone's just kind of there to see, you know, all the big, the big players, the the Chet Holmgrens and the Paolos. Um, then you know you kind of have the different venues between Cox Pavilion and Thomas and Mac. So the Hawks, two of the games I saw were in the Cox, so it was kind of like a smaller, you know, more intimate setting. But it's a fun experience, like just kind of like the the whole world, the whole NBA world is is focused all on Vegas. So so that was fun about it. Yeah, for sure. And uh, just for people that have never been, they have, there's the two arenas. One is Thomas and Mac where UNLV plays. One is Cox Pavilion, which is a much smaller venue. And it's, um, I they've, they've gotten smarter over the years about what, what games they put in there. They used to just not think about it. And they'd have like some of the best draft picks playing Cox Pavilion. And they would just be a complete madhouse in there. Uh, now the big, the big names generally play in the big arena for the most part, but, and the Hawks only played there, I think once all week in Thomas and Mac, if I'm remembering right. 
Um, so yeah, it was, uh, it's interesting kind of walk, walk back and forth. And I know we are covering the Hawks for the most part on this podcast, but it is quite a basketball uh, convention experience. If you want it to be, you can walk back and forth. You can watch as many games as you want or as little as you want. I have friends that cover the league that will kind of admit they only watch like very little basketball, even though they're in the arena all day. Cause you can just talk to people all day long if you want to. <laughs> Really yeah, good. yeah, I, I can understand that. I mean, it, you know, like I said, it really just depends, you know, what if there's certain players that are out there. You're not really caring as much for, you know, one team versus the other. Like, you know, who cares about the the Celtics versus the Nets or whatever? But oh, I need to see this one player. There's a lot of hype. Kind of interested in see how he does, and you know, maybe some of the other time you kind of tune out and just just talk to your friends. And I definitely saw a lot of, obviously not people I had like relationship with, but people who I knew were in the league, whether they're in front office, a scout, like just to have like everybody walking around. And obviously they talk about how um, if you hear reports that, you know, a lot of the, the GMs and the front office people are, are talking there at, you know, as well as the reporters in the media. So it, it, it's kind of, you know, it's different to have everyone in one place where you can just have a chance meeting of, you know, talking, you know, basketball, but also the behind the scenes, the business part or the behind the scenes media part. Yeah. So it's just that all one experience more than just the basketball itself. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely an experience. That's that's the best part about it. And you can uh, even outside the arena, you can't walk uh, 100 feet in Vegas without seeing somebody that you recognize. Kind of, it's like, wait, is that who I think it is? And you kind of have to look double right, the, the right. double takes of like, oh, that's a player. I can't remember who that is. And anyway, it's a it's a wild wild scene. At any rate, I'm, I'm glad you you got to see it up close and personal. And I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on the Hawk stuff because. It was not exactly the most high-profile Hawks run in the world, in part because Edgy Griffin never played. Um, I've been talking about him every day for the last, you know, 10-plus days, about him not playing and the updates and all that stuff. Um, I know he wasn't out there, but uh, I'll just ask you this way. Does it concern you at all? Because, like, based on, based on what I can pass along, no one's really worried about Griffin's foot uh, internally. Now, obviously, it could become a problem long-term, but – what do you do? You how much do you care that he didn't play in terms, in terms of like development wise? Obviously, it would have been fun to actually have him there for interest perspective, but uh, does it bother you at all, like long term, that he didn't play in Vegas? I don't think so. I mean, you know, development wise, I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a player development person necessarily, but you know, it's just it's five games. It's in a modified environment. You're you just got drafted and kind of thrown in there with a lot of guys who come from a lot of different backgrounds. So I don't think it's anything that's going to set him back. I think the smart thing the Hawks did was, you know, they said based on the, some of the ports, uh, including from you, is that a lot of it was just a pain management thing as opposed to like, you know, a structural issue with the foot. So it was more just a precaution holding them out. Um, I don't know if you, if you know, have any information about if he, if he practiced at all or. Yeah. They that. basically, you know, they basically what, what Nate said and then what I, I was told, after Nate spoke on the broadcast about it one day, it was basically like he, he practiced the first day. He had a little bit of discomfort in the foot and they basically said, you know, we're not practicing you or playing you until you don't have discomfort in your foot, basically, which is a very normal thing to do. Like, unfortunately for us, and I think just for PR sake, it would have been a little bit easier if they, if they just said, OK, he's out for summer league. Uh, but they didn't want to do that because he, he had he had an MRI. It was clean. It showed nothing of concern. So, like, I think there are a lot of the fan stuff. I'm sure you saw some of this, too, in, in your replies was like people mad that he wasn't. It was his day to day thing. Like, was he going to play or not? I'm like, well, 
I don't know what to tell you. He's not ruled out and he's not playing. And eventually he just missed all five games. So I, I get why that's frustrating. It was frustrating for me. It would have been easier for my coverage plan had I known uh, 10 days ago he wasn't going to play the whole time. I would have known that. It would have been a lot easier for me too. But I think they're just being extremely safe. And they know, I mean, just like you just said, they know that like the actual impact of him being on the court for for games in summer league is not very it's not very important. I understand it's it's the one thing that we can actually see on the outside, which I think places additional importance on it. And we'll get into that with Sharif Cooper in a second, I'm sure. But I think that big picture, if you're in the front office or if you're on the coaching staff, him not playing four or five games in Vegas does not actually change anything as long as the foot's okay. And they keep saying that it is, and I have no reason to doubt that. So as long as the MRI is clean, as I said, like hopefully he's okay for training camp and we go from there. Right. So, you know, that's, um, there'll be plenty of times this off season, you know, if, if it really is a pain management thing, I mean, just based on what it sounded like, you know, they kept, you know, they didn't rule him out for the whole, the whole summer. Like you said, you know, it was always, you know, a, uh, an hour before game. So I'm sure they were testing it out, seeing how he was, kind of decide that, you know, the, the pain is, is too much or the risk of, you know, re-injuring that foot is too much. Like, I think that's just, uh, if you're taking a long-term view of A.J. Griffin, like you just drafted a guy mid-first round, four years of, of cost control. You don't want to start him out with, you know, an injury that's going to be nagging him, you know, over the course of this year or possibly beyond. So, um, I think I think it's like I said, it's it's tough for the public. People want to see. Obviously, he's, he he would have been the you know the number one guy on, on the team. But um, as far as long term development, I I think it the risk of injury is is more than the benefit he would have gotten from from playing summer league. Yeah, definitely, that's definitely the case. Um, we'll we'll get into this uh, in a second with regard to Sharif Cooper because I, I don't want to bring the mood down too too much, but I know that's a that's <laughs> yeah. probably the number, the number one topic. But before we get to that, a quick word here from our sponsors. We'll come back with more on Sharif and Tyrese Martin and everything else from the Hawks offseason. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar from the folks that invented healthy and tasty. Comes the latest gift for your taste buds. You've actually probably already tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at Built have given the brownie chunk the puff treatment as well. That's right, coconut brownie chunk Built Bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. Stop drooling now and listen. They're actually good for you as well. They are low calorie, they are low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. The puffs are only here for a limited time. Go to Built.com right now to make sure you don't miss out. They're going fast because they actually taste amazing. And all Built Bar is also made with collagen protein, which your body helps to absorb more, more efficiently, and they provide a ton of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good for you, and they're actually is good for you in terms of a health perspective. The best part about Puffs is that they actually taste great. They're also guilt-free, and they have all kinds of fantastic flavors across the board at Built Bar, including, of course, this Brownie Chunk Built Bar flavor. Um, go to Built.com right now to take advantage of all the amazing flavors and offerings they have at Built. And when you get there, use promo code LOCK15, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. One more time, that is Built.com, promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, Wes, um, let us quickly dive into Sharif Cooper because I think that's the uh, the looming thing out there. I read the numbers. 
that he produced in summer league on the show that I did Saturday night, but I'm going to say them again now for anybody that might've missed them. And I don't mean to pile on, but they are pretty ugly. Um, he averaged 4.4 points a game in summer league across five outings. He averaged uh, about three rebounds, uh, sorry, less than, less than uh, two rebounds, 4.2 assists, uh, about three turnovers per game and also shot 19% from the floor and 18% from three. Uh, it, it is a small sample size, but uh, anytime you have numbers that are like that jarring, it is uh, pretty rough. And I know you saw it like I did. He did not play well really for any long stretch of time. I thought he was better, and you can correct me if you think that I was wrong about this. I thought he was better in games three and maybe a part of game four as well. The first couple of games was really rough, and then game five, he only played the first half and was kind of just non-existent in that way. I'll uh, tee you up this way, though. Uh, the way that I framed it, and again, I'm not trying to pile along because I, I like Sharif, but if you did not know – that he was supposed to be a prospect and you only saw summer league, would you have thought he was a prospect? Cause my answer to that is no. No, no. I mean, you, you take the name out of it. You take the fact out of that he's, you know, from the area, went to yeah. nearby school, Auburn, like that whole thing. Like you just think it's, you know, frankly, just one of those guys who it's going to be unlikely for him to be on a, on a roster. Just, just kind of one of those guys fighting for, for position and didn't really showcase himself. But yeah, all of the, the kind of hype around him over the past year is, um, kind of unfortunate when when you see his performance this this summer, because right? then it's right you have that cycle of hype and then the letdown. So um, I mean, as far as his play, like obviously it was pretty ugly. Yeah, like you read off the, the shooting numbers. I, I think some of it was to me most concerning. The fact that was most concerning was probably his passivity. Yeah. Um, his, his the fact that. Towards the end of last year, he was putting up pretty big numbers in G League with Skyhawks. He was he went up for some 30-point, 10 assist games. Um, so especially over the last like 10, 10 games of the season, you know, had had some accolades by the end of the year. But you know, he 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 got off to a little bit of a rough start and then he kind of just stopped looking for a shot. He was trying to set up others, didn't really look like he was trying to get past guys on on his dribble. Um I have to mention, obviously, he had the finger injury. That he'd been dealing with, so who knows if that played a part? If that played him, played a part yeah. in him not being confident in his dribble. But yeah, and just the not him, him not being able to find a rhythm, being passive, trying to set up others, and not getting to a shot. You know, that's you know Cooper Cooper's way to to the league at his size at the point guard position when you're six foot. Like you, you've got to be able to get to your shot somehow. Got to be able to create that separation and. Um, kind of looked like he was doing that in the G League last year and under pretty similar talent, you know, competition around here in the in summer league. He just, it just, you know, just didn't look good for him. So, I mean, as far as his future with the club, you know, who knows? But, um, yeah, I really can't really understate how disappointing his performance was. Yeah. And I, I will say, you know, his G League numbers, and I, I know people are going to roll their eyes at the G League, and I, and I do get that. But honestly, in terms of structure and in terms of like more difficult environments to play in more challenging environments, the G league quality of play during the season is higher than summer league. Um, yeah. Obviously the top end talent is not the same. Like you don't have your first round picks on the floor a lot of the time, but for the most part uh, I would say G league regular season games are more is a, is a better quality actually than summer league and Sharif averaged in 22 games, about 17 points, seven assists and shot like decent from the floor, 43% from the floor, 36%, 36% from three. Like his numbers look totally fine in the G League. And like, I have a hard time believing that he's just a different player now. Like, obviously you mentioned the thumb. People keep asking me and I'll address it again here. Like 
the film I'm sure played some part in this. Um, I don't think you could use that as an excuse for him being this bad is the way that I would say, like, I do give him a little bit of a pass for that because that's a shooting hand, his dribble, like, and at his size, he can't afford to be a little bit less of anything. Really. That's one of the limitations that he has. He's got to be himself, but uh, you don't get just a hundred percent pass for that either though. Like you, you can't just attribute all of it to that. And what you said, the passivity was the really, the, the really the weird thing. And the one game that he wasn't passive, um, I think it was like four fifteen from the floor. Like it's almost like he decided that game that he was going to just shoot every time. Like he was almost too shot happy in that game to kind of overcompensate for the others. But I mean, he didn't he didn't take a shot on in the finale on Saturday until there was like two minutes left in the first half, and it was like, man, he's he's zero for zero. He's just kind of just out there, and it's a weird thing. And I know Van Exel gave me a couple of quotes about like him having pressure on him and all that stuff. I'm like, it, I mean, yeah, guys have pressure on them for sure, and I think he probably knew it was a big summer for him, but it just wasn't uh. Not, not what you want to see. And listen, I've always liked him, but one of the things you cannot do if you're his size is play like that. Like he, he can't be just a guy out there because uh, defensively, he's never going to be very good uh, at his size. So he's got to have a real command of the offense and like be really uh, be uh, aggressive and uh, as a playmaker in particular, if he doesn't do that, that's really his only path to being an NBA player is being the high end creator that he was supposed to be. And he's shown flashes of that. It just wasn't there in summer league. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he had some, like you say, he's had some playmaking moments. Game three, yeah. game four, like you said, I think he had yeah, nine assists in the third game. Yeah, but but he was also turning the ball over a ton. So I mean, his his you know just turnover ratio was like a little bit over one. So so even the playmaking was was still pretty shaky at times. He's making some bad decisions. So I mean, like I said, you you really can't blame it all on the thumb. You know, I think you know I don't know if there's other things going on or just you know like I said, I don't I didn't expect. Obviously, after what we saw last year, like you said, I didn't expect him to. There's got to be something else between him falling off. You know, he's first the same player he was right four, four or five months ago or whatever. You know, there may be something else going on, but but uh, just a just a pretty poor performance, and you know, we'll, we'll see what happens from here. Yeah, I don't want to keep going on too much on that, but at least the, that was the number one topic besides Griffin. Uh, I guess the number two topic is Tyrese Martin, who the Hawks signed to a multi-year deal on Saturday that I broke down the terms of on that podcast. I won't go crazy into that now, but he's going to be on the roster this year, a rookie minimum contract, and I think he played pretty well, particularly had some really intriguing like creation flashes getting into the rim. Perimeter shooting was not fantastic for Martin, I think like 20% from three, and uh, that's one of the questions that even Landry Fields kind of acknowledged at the draft and after the draft was like their shooting is something that they're not 100% sure on with him. I think uh, he did shoot well as a senior at UConn, but before that, it was not great. And that's maybe the one question mark. But there was a really a lot to like in terms of the way he was, uh, particularly in attack mode. I thought. What did you make of uh, what you saw from him? And obviously, I think he led the team in minutes as well. So he was out, he was out there quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I think it was pretty big for him, big summer league, because obviously you're you're sort of in that in between area when you're a second round pick. You know, you don't have that guaranteed contract, so you really do have to show, showcase yourself. Um, and he was he was in a rough first game. He, he looked like he was, yeah. you know, not shooting the ball well, not not fishing at the rim. But after that, you know, he was uh, he was able to beat his man. Like you, you could tell, he had a pretty good um, handle for his size. He was able to beat guys, get to the rim, finish, and create for others. And um, yeah, I mean, so this, this is kind of what you want to see out of a guy who was in college for four four years. Um, so you, you kind of figured they're going to be more advanced than a guy who's nineteen. Um, so he. You know, I think it was, it was definitely good, and um, obviously to hear that he got signed to um, a two-year contract, I think he had a partial guarantee in the second year, or maybe maybe completely non-guarantee in the second year. 
Um, I think it's that's that's basically what basically all the second rounders looking for or something like that where you can get you can get a full time um, contract out of it. So, I mean, I don't think this means he's gonna you know crack the rotation from day one with the Hawks, but um, definitely looks like you know when you're picking fifty first in the draft, um, just to be able to see a guy really take on and be the number one guy on a summer league team that 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 next the next year is is a good sign. Yeah, definitely, and I think. You know, you what I, what, I, what I would say is don't go crazy. Like, I, I'm i not picking on this person. But I, I saw someone on Twitter today say that he was better than Kevin Herter already. And I was like, well, <laughs> I think we've uh, lost the plot. If that's the like, I, I like Tyrese Martin. I like that draft right, pick. Right. It, was, it was a solid value. He looked good in summer league. Uh, I, I think that he is still a late second round pick and who will be a rookie. And you have to keep your um, projections in, in sort of a reasonable range. But um, you mentioned the first game. I think he was one of nine in that opener. And after that, he was like 55% from the floor. Like he played, he played a lot better after that first game. So that, that's good to see. I do think that, you know, you wish he was like maybe a little bit bigger than he is. I don't know what he's actually listed at, but I think he's probably like in the six, five range. Like he's not, uh, I think he's yeah, listed at six, six. I think he's probably like six, five. He's more like shooting guard size. If he was like a true small forward size, it'd be even more interesting, but of course he wouldn't have fallen as far probably if he was true small forward size. So yeah. um, no, I, I like what I saw a lot. I mean, the jump shot may be the swing skill for him. And then defensively, I know our friend Glenn uh, sort of looked at this a lot. He's, a rookie on defense. Like, I think he played well defensively in college, but you saw him have some, like, just kind of mental, like, processing mistakes and some rotation stuff in summer league, and I'm not the number one expert on that, but I, I do think that my eyes saw the same thing. Like, his physical tools are pretty good defensively. I, I kind of buy the defense, but I think that he's a, he's a rookie in a lot of ways, and he'll have to come a long way on that end of the floor, too. But listen, in terms of, like, grading, or however you want to say that for summer league, he has to be uh, a high-end that's a high end result so far for what you've seen from, from that draft slot, especially when you factor in, like they pretty much sold that pick to move back and all that stuff. Like I think if he, if he can be just an NBA player at all, that's a huge success. And people keep, keep that in mind as well. Like Skylar Mays was the same draft slot. Basically he was one pick ahead last year. And like, I think that they're similar in terms of prospect, like Mays was just a lot. Mays was pretty old, but so is Martin. They're different players. It's just like, you're hoping to get an NBA rotation player and that ends up being a home run. And uh, that, and that, by the way, that's not necessarily as a rookie. That's like in year two, three, four, you're hoping that for. So like, he'll probably play some in, in College Park. But uh, somebody asked me, somebody asked me this, or I was brought up in today on Slack. I won't mention who that person was. You probably saw it. Um, it was like there, there's a path for Martin to be in the rotation at some point this year. And I was like, kind of like, wait, probably not. And then I thought, like, look, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but stick with me here. If you, okay, I'm <laughs> if, if if Bogey is out for a bit, which might happen early in the season. We don't know he's going to be back in time for the season. They're hoping he will be. But, like, if he, for for some reason, is not ready or misses some time at some point during the season, and there's a there's a chance that Martin could be ahead of Griffin in a rotation for as a rookie. Martin is four years older than Griffin. Obviously, Griffin's a better prospect. Obviously. That's, that's not up for debate. But, like, in terms of, like, NBA readiness today – you might be able to argue that Martin would be uh, more playable right now on an NBA court than AJ Griffin. I'm not sure that's the case. We have, we have not seen AJ Griffin against professional basketball players, but like given the lack of depth with the herder trade, all that stuff, it's not the craziest thing in the world. I'm not saying he's going to play because he probably won't, but like if Sean D Brown has a path, which I think he might like, and this is by the way, a path with an injury or two, like no one's saying he's going right. to play opening night, but listen, we saw last year, we've seen every year with this Hawks team in the last three or four years, there's always a week or two when there are three guys down, four guys down. It's just what's, it's, it's what's going to happen. And like, yeah, I can see him playing minutes for a couple weeks. Why not? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I'll say is, I mean, I do, I do 
we would agree with everything you said. The first thing I'll say is if Tyrese Martin is logging heavy minutes in year one, like <laughs> things have gone wrong. Like something like side. Yeah, I agree. Either injuries or something, something else has gone wrong. So but but I do I do know what you're saying. Um I think the Hawks are definitely less deep than they've been the past two years, for one. Yep. So, you know, they got like a solid top seven ish. And then after that, it's a lot of question marks. Um, so like you said, a bogey goes down, someone else goes down. Um, you've got a little bit of wing left, um, but you know, maybe they see Martin as, as someone who can maybe fill, you know, 10, 12 minutes off the bench more than, like you said, uh, AJ Griffin, who still may have to get up to speed after his injury. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, and just well, being eighteen too. Let's think about Griffin. I'm not, it's not even really about the injury. It's right. the fact that he's eighteen years old. Like, and I, yeah. I love that draft pick. I, I don't know how you felt about it. I like that draft pick a lot. But like, I would say this no matter what. Any rookie is going to be mostly bad in the NBA. That's that's usually what works. And the way that a one and done guy who has had not played a lot of basketball the last three, like two or three years, plus he's eighteen, like. I'm not saying he's going to be bad as a rookie. He might, he might be good. Maybe he can shoot. Maybe the shooting just carries him, but like, it just shouldn't surprise anyone. If Nate McMillan in particular is like, I kind of trust Tyrese Martin more than AJ Griffin. That wouldn't stun me at all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I see that. Plus, plus in the first half of an NBA season, you're usually experimenting more. You're, you're yeah. kind of tossing, tossing everything out there, seeing what kind of rotation combinations work out there. So, you know, I it definitely wouldn't surprise me to see just, just based on his age. I mean, um, you never quite know, obviously the, you know, the Hawks, for whatever reason, the past couple seasons started slow. Um, injuries played a part in that. So um, it's definitely possible. I mean, one, th- one thing I will say is, the especially with this Martin deal, uh, they're going to they're gonna need stuff like this, like as far as winning on the margins with, yep. with their roster construction. Um, having gone in on, you know, DeJounte Murray, you're losing a lot of future picks. You're up against the tax line. Um, kind of makes you makes things real difficult to actually bring in a, you know, like a mid-level type player. Um, you have some mechanisms, but again, with being so near the tax, like it's gonna be difficult to do. So you need to kind of, you know, if the Hawks are gonna maybe surprise some people, they need to win on the margins with with some of the minimum guys, um, you know, Martin or, or some of your recent draft picks, your rookie guys. So, I mean, I don't, you you know, just with with this team, obviously trying to. To, to do whatever it takes, I guess, to get to the next level, you know, it, it, it wouldn't surprise me to, to try out a guy like Martin. He, you know, obviously we got some steps before we get there. We got Channing <laughs> camp preseason. I mean, if he continues to look good in preseason, like, I, I mean, there around the league, if you look around the league, there's a number of, you know, low second rounds, undrafted guys who, you know, they find their role, they find their niche. They're good at this one thing. Um, you know, Miami, Miami heat are great at that. I can find, you know, random shooters and, you know, they plug them in and, they may make some mistakes, especially defensively early in the season, but that will help them work through the mistakes. So by you get, by the time you get later in the season, maybe they're just they're more comfortable, and now you're getting you know a lot of production out of a of a you know low second rounder. Yeah, no, I I agree for sure. I think that he uh, you know he doesn't have that number one skill. Either. That's the one thing about uh, about Martin is that he doesn't have that like outlier trait. Like he's a good finisher, and I think the ball handling is pretty intriguing. What we saw. Like he's not he's not a he's not a shooter, for instance. He's not this like lockdown defender either that can like get you on the floor. It's a lot easier sometimes for a guy for a specialist to get on the floor in some respects. Like you find your uh but that, that's why, by the way, for Griffin, Griffin might be able to play just because of the shooting. 
early on. He might he might hurt you some other places, but like especially if they don't have bogey for whatever reason, Griffin's shooting might just be like they have to have it because they don't have enough shooting on the roster. You talked about like their lack of depth now, um, and they do have like they have eight guys that they trust, but the lack of shooting could be potentially problematic, and maybe that puts Griffin back in the process all the time. Anyway, we we got a long way to go on all this stuff, but I think that it's uh, it's just interesting to me to keep stuff in perspective. I know I'm sort of just trying to fight a losing battle there. Fans are going to fan and I totally get that. And they want to see yeah. their guys. And Martin was good in summer league. I'm not, I'm not piling on at all. I think you, I thought, you, I thought he was really encouraging, but um, just keeping that in, in line, because by the way, I looked it up just now. He's already 23. He's actually, he's actually four and a half years older than Edgy Griffin. So okay. <laughs> that's what Scholar Mays was last year. Mays was like right. famously like 24 already when he was drafted. Um, Martin just turned 23. So he's not like crazy old for a senior, but he is, uh, I, I, I will go on the list of players that he's older than that are on the roster right now, but there's uh, multiple guys already that, you know, like, I think he's I'm pretty sure he's older than a Kong Wu. He's older than uh, guys like that, Joe and Johnson, et cetera. So, yeah. Um, all right. Wes, before we get to more, uh, a couple more things here before we get to that, a word from our sponsors on the pod. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and locked on NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Wes, I will not keep you too much longer. But uh, before we get to anything else that's uh, with regard to the roster, is there anyone that you want to cape for from Summer League? I've talked about Shawnee Brown a lot. I like Shawnee Brown a lot, but there's not there's not that much to talk about necessarily with him. Uh, I know there's a Hawks fan groundswell for Tyson Etienne after his breakout game four performance. But uh, anybody else that strikes you as noteworthy or do you want to move on to other things? Um, noteworthy? I mean, I don't know. I mean, like you said, you, you mentioned Etienne. I mean, uh, I just – Etienne's a guy who – he would really benefit if he were like a couple inches uh, taller. Could work off the ball. He could actually be a two. I think he's six two right now. And yeah, they, they definitely tried to get him some looks on the ball. Try to try to run some like point guard sets. They, they didn't have Akeem Joe and and Sharif uh, Cooper was out. Um, so he, he had some intriguing moments, but I I just don't see that being a path forward for him. Um, the only other guy I I thought impressed me, um, which is uh, the Hawks Twitter favorite, uh, Justin Tillman. Um, <laughs> He kind of slowed down towards the end of it, but the first first two or three games, you know, he was he was um, doing a really good job as a as a role man. Yeah. Um, he'd get isolated in the post. Um, he's got a good good turnaround. Get had had a little bit of a, a flip shot. Basically, everything he shoots is just like one arm flip. But you know, he'd have a look, you know good touch on it. He he, he, scored, he was scoring efficiently. He's getting some rebounds. So doing everything like a role man should do. Um, I know the Hawks kind of have. You know, kind of more premium versions of that on the roster as as is, um, but um, Tillman's kind of a journeyman. He's he's older, what twenty six, twenty seven at this point. Um, so he 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 may go back down to, you know, they may they may try to retain him on, on the Skyhawks. He was, I believe, he was the first team um, yeah. all G League last week. So yep. not that that necessarily means you're you're gonna you know have a shot, but might be a guy they bring in on an exhibition ten deal, a training camp deal continue to look at, you know, maybe they need a little bit more front court depth. Um, so um, it's kind of difficult because he's, he's undersized for a five, probably can't hold his own as a four, but he had some intriguing moments as a role guy. Yeah. And that's honestly, 
there was some, I think it was for people that like Tillman, like maybe VCU fans or whatever. Like they got a little bit mad at it. Man, Nick Van Essel, when I asked him about Tillman early in the process, and he he, he just he kind of just candidly said, I, I wish he was two inches taller. And it's like, he's not, he's not crapping yeah. on Tillman. <laughs> it's just the reality. Like it's tough to be a six, eight center. And, and I, I know a Kongwu is kind of the same size, but a Kongwu is like a genuine freak. And that's why it works for him. Tillman is not that. And I think that he's, he's a pro. I mean, that's the thing about him. Like everyone likes that guy. He plays really hard. He's already an, an established quality G league player, but like the way that I think of him is that he's basically just a quadruple a guy. And that's, it's unfortunate, but like, he's a really good G league player that probably isn't an NBA player unless it's like a fill in spot. Um, but we'll see. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Like you said, um, they can give guys those exhibit tens up to like 50 grand of guaranteed money is like I think the cap uh, where you can also retain their G League rights. So he, they could offer him the max, um, the max allotted um, exhibit 10 contract, pay him that, bring him to training camp and send him back to College Park. And then he ends up earning like a six figure salary for the year. That's not, that's not so bad in terms of what your path could be. Last year, he was on a 10 day contract, too, during the COVID madness for the Hawks, made some money there. I think long term. His best bet to make money is probably to go to Europe, but I don't know if that's what he wants to do. So we'll see. I, I like him though. I mean, and every, by all accounts, everybody likes the guy in the organization too. Like he's just, he's a good worker um, and just he's a pro. I mean, we saw even with Sharif, like who we talked about earlier, struggled a lot. When he was playing with Tillman, it was always that was his best basketball because Tillman knows how to play screen setting, pick and roll, more more speed, just like a little bit more floor balance and spacing, all that stuff too. So I uh, I like him. It wouldn't blow me away. I, I get a question like almost every day about him on, on that last two way spot. I think it's still going to be Sharif to be honest, but uh, they could do worse. Like he's a professional basketball player, no question. Like yeah. He's, he's yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, just kind of, a, you know, break glass in case of emergency. Like I said, if, if they have to call him up for a 10-day, like you say, you never know when, when the injuries happen. You know, he, he's a guy you would already trust because he's kind of he's kind of already been there for, for the Hawks. That's an advantage, too, and I asked him about that, and he, he definitely leaned into it, too. He's like, look, I, I already know all the plays. Like, he knows all the stuff already, and that it, that is very valuable, particularly if you get a COVID situation, if you get a couple injuries, like being able to sign that guy or bring that guy, have that guy close by – Particularly for a coach like, like Nate, Nate really trusts guys who know and know how to play, um, and that might be useful. I would say if you get a situation where somebody gets banged up along the way and he's close by in College Park. So, um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, before I get you out of here, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier with the depth and stuff, but I want to know because this has been a topic, and I'm trying to save most of this stuff for later on in the summer for obvious reasons. But what do you make of the roster right now? Like, how good are they? Is a question I keep getting all the time, and I'm not I'm not quite ready to answer it to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, given that they brought in Murray, that was their big swing move. They did the Kevin Herter trade, which I didn't necessarily love, but I do understand it on some level. Like, what is your what, what's your reaction been to what they've done so far? Because it's been uh, – much has been – it kind of all happened in like a week. They were still very busy in terms of like <laughs> – compared to your average offseason, they, they did a lot of different stuff. Yeah, I mean, so coming into the, to the summer, I mean, I, I kind of had – I believe from what the word, words I heard from exit interviews, the things I was hearing um, – that they want to get together in, in two areas. Like they wanted to a have that that upper gear in the postseason, have have a little bit more creation, not be so dependent on Trey Young, and then b they really wanted to, to upgrade their perimeter defense. And so I think that's that was kind of the focus on on it. And that's that's kind of a lot of rationale for the trades to bring in Murray, to to send out Herder and bring in um, Harkless and, and Justin Holiday. Um, so they definitely accomplished that to some degree. Um, I think the question is kind of how far in the other direction they go. They lost a lot of shooting creation, especially off their bench unit. But um, I think I think the goal is obviously to, to kind of try to make themselves more dangerous against 
great teams as well as more dangerous in the postseason. Um, so you got a guy like, you know, obviously you got uh, Trey and, and DeJounte Murray together. I think that's what they're trying to accomplish. Um, in the regular season, like I said, I, you know, I, I think on some level they're kind of treading water with, with, a lot of their, with all their moves as far as, you know, does this take them to be in, you know, have, have a few more wins. Like they, you know, they were in the play-in last, last season. They should be maybe a little bit better um, as far as regular season, but I don't really think they did much on that end. I think a lot of it is, you know, they, they really want to get beyond just the first round exit. And obviously they weren't very competitive in the last, last heat series. So trying to get that number two guy, um, they accomplished that. Uh, I think it's a little, it's going to be a little tough again, just where they are at financially. They handed out a lot of kind of mid-level deals, which, which were good on the market. When you talk about extending Capella, you talk about John Collins is um, not quite max extension, um, Herder had a good deal. But you had a lot of these, you know, 15 to 25 million dollar a year guys, you know, that, that kind of added up for them. And that's that's what put them on this big tax burden. Um, so they you know, with with all the maneuvering, you know, like I said, the, the end result is, yeah, I think they did increase. I think they did upgrade their perimeter defense. Um, they got Trey, the number two guy he was looking for. But is that quite good enough to have enough pieces to, to really make a run as a contender? Uh, as as of right now, I don't think so. Um, I think their depth is like like we've mentioned is just shallower. So if they have some injuries, you know, it it, it, it might start to look pretty rough when they, when they start to throw out those bench units. Even if you stagger Trey and Dejounte, like you know, those guys can only do so much. Um, so I, I think they're just at this point they're kind of walking a fine line with the lack of depth. They're really banking on some of the young guys really stepping up. Um, DeAndre Hunter, Jalen Johnson, Okongwe taking a step forward. Like some of those guys really step up, um, you know, have some breakout years, then then it starts to look better. But um, that's that's probably their only avenue upwards for this season is just having a having some some breakout seasons occur, and then also staying healthy as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, as we discussed earlier, their their depth is uh, hit and miss. Obviously, having arguably the deepest center group in the league still uh, people, people got kind of recoil when i said that but i mean i'm not saying it's the best because obviously Jokic and Embiid follow up followed by anybody on earth probably is still better what the hawks have but like the hawks have you could argue the best 48 minutes of center in the league if they have capella and okongwu both healthy and you throw in collins to play whatever whatever five minutes a game at center if you want to like they're loaded there um and obviously with murray if you want to count him a point guard they're also kind of loaded there but they have some other depth concerns for sure. So health's going to be important. And I know you know this too, but like, it's like very mainstream now to say this, but I think DeAndre Hunter is like one of the more obvious X factor guys in the entire league this year. Like if he's good, their ceiling raises so much. And if he's not, it's hard to see them being that good. You know what I mean? Like it's all, it's like, it's not all tied to DeAndre Hunter by any means, but if he's the guy he was last year, like their ceiling is just not that high because he's the only guy on the roster that does, that does what he does at that, as that big physical two way wing. And like, I like Justin holiday, but Justin holiday is much more of a two, three, um, a little bit smaller, a little bit, a little more frail. He's a pretty good defender, but he's a, he's a pure three and D role player. And that's not what the hunter is right now. So I don't know. I'm, I'm intrigued by it all to be honest, but, and like the standing stuff is, I mean, I already saw, I won't say where, cause I'm not allowed to, but I won't say, uh, I saw I saw some over unders already coming out. We're in that time of the year where like projections are occurring, and 
it will not stun me to see anyone pick the Hawks like anywhere from like five to nine or ten coming into the season in the East. Like I can't imagine anyone picking them outside of Hawks fans ahead of teams like Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, probably Miami. Like those four teams from last year, I can't see the Hawks being picked ahead of those teams. Can they beat those teams? Maybe. Sure. I'm not saying that they can't, but being picked ahead of them. And then like if Brooklyn still has KD or something, like, Brooklyn's the giant wild card. I have no idea. But like they're probably in a similar range to teams like Toronto and uh, maybe Brooklyn, maybe Cleveland, maybe Chicago, et cetera. Like that's the kind of group that they're probably going to be grouped in with right now. And that's appropriate unless they show that they're better than that. I think this roster is better than it was, but better in a way that also could go south if they get one injury at, at a bad time or um, some things go wrong. So like, it's kind of fascinating. Like they definitely are not like a contender right now, which is unfortunate for us talking about them and covering them every day. But I mean, I, I know the Hawks fans want them to be the case with Murray, and Murray's really good, but he doesn't single-handedly make them as good as the Bucks. Or the yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think part of acquiring Murray, obviously that that's that's a long-term thing. Like you're you're trying to pair him with Trey Young long-term, so it's not sure. like a one-year deal where they're they're trying to go in and win win a championship right now. Um, you know, if they that thought you know that move was going to do it, you know, I think they're you know some sometimes expectations feel a little bit. <laughs> It's kind of one of those moves that's like, it's a short-term move and a long-term move. Like, you know as well as I do, which is the stuff that we've heard and talked about offline. Like, they definitely have pressure from up top to win now. And that was part of doing the Murray deal. But I agree with you. Like, that's not a move you do on its own. And the other move, because the the other big move they did was was the herd trade, which didn't really make them better. Like, you could argue it didn't kill them necessarily, but that that was not an improving in the short-term kind of move. So it's like... You do this move and it's it feels like kind of an all-in move, but it's not good enough to make you as good as you want to be right now. So it's like kind of a move that's for a long term, like you said, but also with some short-term focus because, I mean, you know, like they don't do that trade unless they think that it's going to help them now too. And it, and it should help them now. But I agree, it's more of a setup move on paper and like what's the next move is still the question that everybody has for me across the league. When I see them in, in Vegas, I'm maybe you got this too from, from people around that you saw, but like, it's like, all right, wh- what do the Hawks do now? And it's like, well, they already made this pretty big move for Murray. Like they, they traded three picks, but like, it's a natural question to be like, all right, what's the third, what's the next move? Cause I, I don't know the answer to that, but it felt like it was going to happen and they just didn't do anything else. So it's like, here we are. Right. I mean, and obviously like, you know, elephant in the room is the John Collins, it's kind of been, you know, floated around for, for forever. Still it seems awesome. like still on the team, John but, Collins. Right. I mean, honestly, at this point, th- there's there's no John Collins move where you're better tomorrow. Like, yeah, there's just no. there's just not really a move that's materialized like that. Maybe you can, you know, liquidate and get get young guys and picks or whatever. But then it's then you're kind of questioning, okay, what was the logic behind trading for Dejounte Murray if you're gonna take a step forward and take a step back? So, I mean, I think I think right. I, I think I some of it is right. Some of it is. You know, we we'll just have to kind of wait and see how, how how do Young and Murray work together? Like, like can that really can first of all can Murray kind of replicate his his All Star campaign from last year? I think there's some question that maybe that's his peak. Like, maybe he'll take a small step back when he's outside of San Antonio, and you know, things can't can't be run for him the same way. You know, we just we just kind of wait and see. I mean, if you're asking what the next step is, I think in an ideal world is somehow somehow. Um, find a, a number three guy, but that's that would mostly involve that would most most likely involve, you know, acquiring a star big man. And I know they had obviously try to weasel their ways into you know DeAndre Ayton talks and all that, and you know, 
if you do that, then, then you know, you're obviously going to have to ship off, you know, a guy like Capella and John Collins and Pablo Kongwu to, to try to find, like, a guy you think, okay, if I have young Murray and this star big man, maybe that's maybe that's a championship contender right there. But, you know, those moves that, you know, takes two to tango, like those moves just aren't out there all the time. Like, you can't just find a star big man who's on the market all the time. So at the moment, I think you're just, you're just kind of waiting and seeing, like, how does this team look? How do they look at the trade deadline? You know, reassess your options. Um, how do they look at the end of the season? You know, uh, I think I think one one thing I'm looking at going forward is there's kind of a ticking time bomb as far as uh, Dejounte Murray's contract because you know he's making about 17, 17 and a half million this year, and next year. But after that point, most likely if he continues to play like this, like he's gonna command a max deal or something yeah. very very close to that. So you know, if you're thinking Trey Young's on a max deal, DeJounte Murray's on a max deal, like that's two thirds of your cap right there. So there's kind of a all your maneuverability is going to happen within this year, and next year to kind of get that um, get that structure settled and then figure out the kind of financials at that point. Yeah, I mean, and the other, the other side of that with Murray and, you know, I like Murray a lot, but the other, the other side of that is if he doesn't stay, you, you just made this trade of a lot of a lot of capital for a guy who leaves in two years and um because of the extension stuff that i know you know about but for hawks fans like they can't pay him enough legally under the salary cap right now to get him to sign an extension like he he just can't it's not his fault either i mean the hawks can't offer as much as they as they as he would take and he he shouldn't take what they what they can offer him so like they're kind of hands tied on that and i think that there is always some level of risk for anybody that's going to be um a UFA, like he's going to hit the market in two years, no matter what happens, he's going to hit the market almost certainly. So it's like, that's the other downside is like, what if he leaves? Uh, yeah. We'll that's a disaster. I mean, like you just traded two unprotected firsts after, like after his, uh, you after know, it's over. no, it's so I'm, I'm not trying to do to anybody, but it, it really is a pivotal time. And then you can, we could probably spend 30 minutes on the center situation too, because at some point they're going to have to move on from Capella or Kongwu. Cause you, it just doesn't make sense to keep having a Kongwu be a backup center, but that's where he is right now. So uh, there's some real, it's the same stuff we've been talking about for a year plus in a lot of ways, but they had, and Collins is the perpetual trade candidate. So it's like, it's the same storylines a lot of the way, but now with a guy and I'll say this, like Murray is their best player they've had in the Trey young era besides Trey. So like that, that's a good thing. You, you've added a guy who I think fits with him pretty well. It's not like a hundred percent perfect, but it does make some sense on both to the floor. And uh, they've acquired a talented guy and they didn't have to trade anything present, present value. That was nearly as much like going from Gallo to Murray talent wise is a giant upgrade. It's just that you've sort of maybe downgraded with the herder trade and also traded a bunch of your picks away. So it's like, they're kind of shuffling the deck chairs a little bit and uh, we'll see how good they are. Cause I, I'm ready to see them play now. I mean, we still, we still have to wait three or three more months. Like train camp's right. going to open in like, I don't know, like 10 weeks, something like that. That's a long time plus long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I think it's, there's going to be some acclimation period um, as far as young DeJounte. And I think the, the other bigger thing is how much do they stagger? Like you got to have one of those guys on the court for 48 minutes. Like just the way that the roster is like, you got you to do yeah. it. I totally agree. And like, they also don't, I mean, I, I like Aaron holiday, but Aaron holiday is more of like an off ball lead guard like he's not really yeah. a guy who's gonna run your offense a lot and uh herder was their best secondary creator on the roster he's no longer there so like they if they was ever a time that they were gonna stagger they, they gotta do it now like they have to that's gonna drive us all crazy if nate on opening <laughs> night does not stagger them i'm gonna lose my mind so, <laughs> i'll be right there with you we'll, we'll be the yeah. same 
Same same place there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, well, I will. Uh, I'll probably beg you to come on again um, at some point in the next aforementioned 10 weeks because there's a lot of uh, content to uh, sift through in the near future. But I appreciate you coming on, spending some of your recovery period post-Vegas with me uh, on this. Uh, we're actually recording on Sunday. I think it's going to go up on either Monday or Tuesday. But here we are. Wes, thank you for joining me. Please plug anything you got going on. Have you been writing anything at Peachtree Hoops? Did you? Uh, did Zach make you chronicle your journey through Vegas? What's going on? Um, no, all I did recently, uh, I tweeted the first three games from the Peachtree Hoops account. Um, I'll probably go. be doing that going forward. Um, but uh, other than that, obviously, I'll, I'll try to get some some things written um, over at Peachtree Hoops, previewing the season. You know, we're, once we get into it, obviously, this is a little bit of a down period. I'll, um, hopefully we'll have some, you know, maybe analysis of, of what can, what we can look forward towards the next season. But yeah, continue to read peachtreehoops.com. Um, follow me at Blockhawk. It's the off season, but I'm still, I'm still be tweeting random, random Hawks figures and notes and things. So, so please follow me there. And uh, yeah, for people that don't know Wes's work, Wes has been uh, around, at least kind of around the Hawks blogging game for quite some time. One of the one of the one of the, one of the longer tenured people now, other than I guess me and maybe Kevin. Uh, but thank you for joining me. My, Thanks. Friend. Yeah, OG oh, of the fun. game, I guess. OG of the game, indeed. Uh, but yeah, sir, sincerely follow Wes's work. Follow Peachtree Hoops, where I used to be the editor and still am a reader voraciously, and uh, I'm also still on the Slack channel, talking trash to all of them on a daily basis. <laughs> But uh, thank you, Wes, for being here. And uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast, follow the show on Twitter, etc. And we'll see you all next time. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.